0: Open up to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 17. Let me pray and ask for God's blessing one more time as we look at His Word together. And, um, and pray with me in your hearts. Don't just, don't just listen, but pray with me in your hearts. Our, our Lord, we, we together come to You. Because we know that you are the only one who can teach who can teach your word to the heart and to the soul of people. There is no one else who can do that, Lord. And I pray that you would please open these words to our understanding. Help us, O oh Lord. Help us, we pray. In Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Allow me to read verses 1-10 through this morning in John 17. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that Your Son also may glorify You as You have given Him authority over all flesh that He should give eternal life to as many as You have given Him. And this is eternal life that they may know You the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept Your word. Now they have known that all things which You have given me are from You. For I have given to them the words which You have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from You, and they have believed that You sent me. I pray for them, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So what we've been studying here in John chapter 17 is what has come to be called the high priestly prayer of the Lord. You remember the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, is about to take Himself, the Lamb of God, as He's called in John 1, the Lamb of God to the cross, to be the sacrifice for sin. But before the great high priest offers Himself as the sacrifice, He prays for His people. He prays for you there, if you're one of His children. Our imaginations need to try to grasp that reality. In verse 20, I do not pray for these only. There were 11 men who were in the room at that time. But the Lord Jesus in His prayer says, I'm not praying for these all alone, but for those who will believe in Me through their word. And that's you and that's me. If, if, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ alone this morning, You are in verse 20. The Lord Jesus Christ thinking of you before He goes to give His blood for you. It's great. So, what what we have here is not a sermon. We were just speaking about this the other day, my, uh, my grandparents and I. What we have here is not a sermon. This is a prayer. And we get to listen in to the prayer. And so... Um, In our first message, when we looked at verses 1 through 3, we thought about the true themes of religion. And last week, in verses 4 and 5, we looked at examining the glory of Christ and finishing the work. Finishing the work. He finished the work. And this week, we're going to look at what it looks like to be alive in Christ what's it look like to be alive in Christ are you a christian well what we have here is a little picture as the lord jesus is praying to his father in the first part in the first part of the prayer he's praying for himself and then in verse 6 we have kind of a transition although it might be better to say in verses 9 and following, he has kind of a transition where he begins to bring in his people a little bit more inside this prayer. And as he's praying for them, what we see is what it really means to be alive in Christ. What does it mean to be alive in Christ? And here's, here's the purpose. Here's what I, Here's what I hope. We accomplish today. In looking at the word together. In seeing. What it means for you to be alive in Christ. I want you to be equipped. To know how to fight. The fiery darts of the evil one. Uh, I I want you to be encouraged. In the Lord. By knowing the life. That Christ has given you. Seeing the gifts that Christ has given you. And if. If. So that's, that's the first goal. And the second goal is if you don't know what it is to be alive in Christ. I, I pray like I prayed earlier. I pray that you would want it, that you would see the life that's there and you would think, I want that. And so my goal for you is that you would, you would repent and come to Christ and find life today. So let's look at what it is to be alive in Christ. And the first, the first thing that I want us to see is that Christians, those who are alive in Christ, have been shown God. This is from verse 6. The Lord Jesus Christ prays, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. A couple of things that I want to note here is that when Christ manifests the name of God, he's not just pronouncing the name from his mouth. He is revealing God himself. He's revealing God himself. If you look back up at verse 2, it says, Christ Jesus has been given authority over all flesh. Why? That he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Well, what is that eternal life? Verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God. So do you see the connection? Jesus Christ came to give life. What is that? He came to bring, to give a knowledge of God. And so in verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the man whom you have given me out of the world. Now, I didn't mention this at the start, but this would be helpful. On the back table, I do have an outline with my Bible references listed out. Um, so if you want to grab one of those to, to follow along a little easier, you're welcome to. They're back there. Um, so the, So the, the other thing that I want to note here is that when he says, "I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me," I think that's also in connection to verse four. So in verse four, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I have glorified you on the earth. Well, what does it look like for, for Jesus Christ to have glorified Him? Well, the first thing is that He finished the work that was given Him to do. And then the next thing in verse 6 is He has manifested His name to the men whom you have given Him out of the world. Okay, So, so the, as the Lord Jesus Christ is here on earth, He manifests the name of God to these people in order to glorify God, in order to glorify His Father. Now, I want to bring a passage to, uh, to your attention. Keep your finger in John 17, and back in Exodus chapter 33, in verse 18, Moses makes a request to the Lord, and he says... Let me see your glory. And in verse 19 in Exodus of chapter 33, God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So notice the connection. Back in John 17, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I have manifested Your name. The Lord Jesus Christ has brought to pass in the New Testament what God showed to Moses in the Old Testament. You see that? Moses in Exodus 33, 18, I want to see Your glory. And God answers in verse 19 I will proclaim my name before you. And so in John 17:6 the Lord Jesus Christ says I have manifested your name. You see the connection? Now there's one more verse that I want us to look at back in the Gospel of John and, and it's in John 1:18. John 1:18 says no one has seen god at any time the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father he has declared him he has declared him what that verse means is that if you want to really know god you must listen to the son No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. If you really want to know God, you must listen to Jesus Christ. If you shut your ears to Jesus Christ, you will not know God. You will not know God. But if you are in Christ, then you know God. We're not talking about sentiment. We're not talking about feelings. We're talking about actually knowing God. It's the truth. You're doing, in your knowledge of God, you are doing that which you were built to do. Now I want to show you one other thing. In John 14, when Jesus Christ declares, when Jesus Christ manifests the name of God to these people he's not just preaching a sermon to them but Jesus Christ himself is the manifestation of who God is Jesus Christ himself is the manifestation of who God is look at this in John chapter 14 in verses uh, verses 6 through 9 and Jesus said to him You've heard this verse before. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let me ask you this. Do you actually believe that? Verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. You want to know God? The way is through Jesus Christ. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Verse 8. Philip, one of his disciples, said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Maybe sometimes you think that. Maybe sometimes you pray that. Maybe sometimes you pray, God, if you would just show me yourself, I would actually believe in you. Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Verse 9, here's the answer. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. so so that that's what I was saying at the beginning it's not as though Christ came to just preach a sermon about about God. He himself is the manifestation of God. He is God in the flesh God in the flesh and so that's the first sign of life. what does it mean to be a Christian? to be a Christian, is to know this God. It's to know Christ. To not just know facts about Him, but to know Him. As your Lord and your Savior, your Redeemer, the one whose ear is open to your call. And if you're not in Christ, you don't know that. You can't. But you should want it. You should want the life. You should want to know God. When you open your eyes and you look at those mountains and those trees and if and if you hear the elk bugling at night or in the early morning and you think God is in, he's amazing and I I need to know him. And that's that is what you were built to do. Christians know God, but it's not just a feeling that they have inside. That's really important. Religion isn't just a feeling. It's not just satisfying this religious itch that you have to make yourself feel better. Someone called religion the opiate of the masses, right? That's not what religion is. It is truth grounded in reality. I have manifested your name. Have you seen it? Have you seen God? Not with your eyes. Have you seen it with faith? Have you seen him with faith? And if you haven't, the answer's in Christ. Have I been with you for so long, Philip, and you don't know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Well, we weren't there in person with him, but we know who he is. We know it. We know he's our God. So that's the first symptom of life. Christians have been shown God. Here's the second syf- symptom of life. Christians belong to Christ. This is in verse 6, John 17:6. I have manifested Your name to the men whom You have given Me out of the world. Whom You have given Me out of the world. Very simple logic. If, if the Father has given the Son... something then that something belongs to him and what did he give it says that he gave men and by that he doesn't just mean he doesn't just mean males he means in particular at this moment there were 11 guys that were sitting in front of him but in the Bible, the, the word men is often the old-fashioned word for humankind, right? Those human beings whom you have given me out of the world. But, but notice, they've been given to him, which means he owns them. And what that means is, if you're a Christian, you belong to him. We were reading this morning, weren't we, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and verse 23, you have been bought with a price. Bought with a price. And if you have been bought. Then that means you are owned. You are owned. Owned by Christ. But now. Let's think about this a little bit. You are owned by Christ. But look at that phrase. Whom you have given me. Out of the world. Out of the world. It doesn't mean that. They don't live in the world any longer because obviously Christians still live in the world. But as you read the scriptures, what you see is that God has taken a group of people who are at once citizens of this world and have committed them to be the inheritance of the Son. They've been removed from being part of the world to now belonging to Christ. But now I want us to think about this a little bit more. They've been, they've been given out of the world. If you turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, I, I'm not going to turn there because I don't have time to turn there. But if you turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, you see what the Apostle Paul is talking about with regard to the testimony of a Christian. He says, one time you were dead in your trespasses and sins. One time you were following after the devil just like everyone else. One time you were a child of wrath just like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Christ. And so one of the things that that I want us to see in this little phrase whom you have given me out of the world is that one time you were in the world. You were once there. And so what that means is there is no room for pride in your heart to think of yourself as better than anyone else. And that's why God saved you. God didn't save you because you were better than anyone else. Because you weren't better than anyone else. You followed the devil, just like everyone else. You did his wishes, just like everyone else. You were a child of wrath, just like everyone else. But it was out of God's pure and kind grace who looked upon you. In eternity past, that's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, in eternity past, he set his eye on you Chose you to be his. Chose you to be his. To be kind to you. So there's no room for pride. To think that you're better than anyone else. But here's the other thing that we see in this little phrase. To the men whom you have given me out of the world. You and I aren't better than anyone else. But the fact is is that as Christians we are not like everyone else. You now belong to Christ. You are now holy. You don't get to live like the world because you don't belong to the world anymore. It says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 15, it says that God translated you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. That means He took you out of one kingdom and he, and he made you a citizen of another kingdom. And what that means, that means is that you joyfully don't have to obey the other kingdom's laws anymore. You've been set free to live in the kingdom of the Son. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, and verse 11, He says, At one time you were once darkness you were once darkness if you read ephesians chapter 5 he doesn't say you once lived in darkness but you were once darkness it was your identity to be dark to hate the light of god to want him to stop poking at at you and making you feel guilty about your sins You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. It's what it says in verse 8. Notice, he doesn't say he's brought you into the light. It says you are light. You are light. You're light in the Lord. Light. It's your identity in Christ has been changed if you belong to him. And so what does he say after that? He says, Walk. As children of light, you see that there in Ephesians five eight. You are light in the Lord. Now walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. And so here's here's what that means in in our day to day. All right. What that means is that when Christ and we were talking about this in Sunday school this morning too. When Christ shed His blood to forgive you of your sins, He didn't just die for you to forgive you. He died for you to also make you holy. Turn over to Titus chapter 2. This, uh, that's where we were looking at this morning. Titus chapter 2. In verse 14, it says, speaking of Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. Christ saved you to make you zealous for good works. Not to earn your salvation, but because he saved you. You live it out. Are you a changed person or not, Christian? That should put a smile on your face. I get, to, I get to serve the Lord today. Belonging to Christ out of the world, that means that your entertainment choices are different. You belong to Christ. The things that make me happy in my spare time are different now. I belong to Christ. That means that the things that come out of your mouth are different now. I belong to Christ I'm out of the world. I belong to Christ. So the motivation that I have to go to work in the morning is different now. I'm not just working for a paycheck, I'm a servant of the Lord. Been brought out of the world. I belong to Christ as His. It determines how you love your family. You love your family in a holy way, you're not manipulative. You're not being authoritarian and just trying to get one over on the other person to get them to give you what you want. It's different because you're a Christian. You belong to Christ. And there's freedom in that. It's a sign of life. Are you alive in Christ? Well, it it, it changes all of that. So, when you feel tempted to sin, when you feel tempted to sin. Tomorrow morning, wake up and you get in the car. You're driving down the road and temptation slaps you right there and you feel it and you're like, I want to go back to the world. That's when you check your brain and you say, no. No. I've been given to Him out of the world. I've been given to Him out of the world. I'm Christ's. Christ." And you remind yourself of the Scriptures. Like James 4.4. 4. James 4, 4. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. And so when you're smacked with temptation right there, you say, man, I want to say that so bad. That's when you hit your brain and you say, no, no. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. I can't. I belong to Christ. Belong to Christ. I'm alive in Christ now. Same thing in 1 John 2.15. Very simply, love not the world. You can memorize that phrase. That's in the Bible. And that's how you fight temptation. When you're hit with the temptation and you say, man, I'm really attracted to that thing. I wish I could just do it. I wish I could just partake. You hit your brain and you say, no, no, love not the world. Love not the world. I can't. I belong to Christ. I belong to Christ. And that is you being alive in Christ. That's you being alive in Christ. Oh man, time is flying. This is terrible. Point three. The other sign that you are alive in Christ Christians keep and receive God's word this is from verses 6 through 8 I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world they were yours you gave them to me and they note this have kept your word notice it doesn't say that that they kept it once upon a time and this is a trap this is a trap that you need to that you need to be aware of. Some people are so satisfied to say, "Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I went to Sunday school when I was 8." What you did when you were 8 does not make does if it doesn't continue, it doesn't mean anything. They have kept your word and they continue to keep the word. That's what it means. Verse 7. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I have given to them the words which you have given me and they have received them. Notice they didn't just receive them once upon a time, they have received them. They continue to receive them as the words of God. And it's like this is very simple logic. This is very simple logic. Christians are called believers. What do what do believers believe? the word of god and if if you don't believe the word of god you're not a christian because you're not believing but what a christian does if you're alive in christ you open this book and you receive his words right verse 8 let's focus on that verb They have received them. That means whatever comes out of that book, you say, All right, that's mine. That's mine. You take it and you hold on to it. These are God's words. These are God's words. I receive. I receive them. I might not be able to understand it all, I might not ever know it all. I might be incorrect on some of the things that I think I see there. And all of those things are true of every Christian, by the way. You're never going to know it all. You're incorrect on some things that you believe. And you're not going to remember it all either. But guess what? A Christian receives the Word no matter what it says. Receives it and hangs on to it and holds on to it and says, yes, this is the word of God. But not only not only does he receive them, but back up in verse six, they've kept kept your word. They have kept your word. So it and not only means that they that they accepted it as the word of God, but they but they held on to it. And they did what it said. They did what it said. Christians do what the Bible says. If you don't do what the Bible says, you're not you're not living like a Christian. Now let me let me pose let me pose this question to you because I don't want you to stumble. Is it possible for Christians to disobey God? Of course, it's possible for Christians to disobey God. It's possible for Christians to stop keeping God's word for a time. That's possible. But you know what a Christian does when when a Christian is confronted with that. A Christian repents and he says, I haven't been keeping the words of God. But I'm alive in Christ. I'm alive in Christ. And you get back up. And you receive his words. And you keep them again. And then when you fail again, then you repent again. And you keep them again. That's what, that's what a Christian does. As being alive in Christ. Um. There are there are a couple of points on this that I want us to think about. The first the first is a um, is back in John chapter six, back in John chapter six. The Lord Jesus Christ has just finished preaching a long, very difficult sermon to understand. And there were crowds and crowds and crowds of people who were there. And by the end of the sermon, many of them left. They didn't stick around with the Lord anymore because they couldn't take it. They couldn't take what he was saying. And so look at verse 66. John 6:66. 6, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12 he turned to he turned to the other disciples and he says do you also want to go away but Simon Peter answered and answered him lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life you see the connection The connection is that Simon Peter, when he sees all of these people leaving Christ, after they've, been, after they've been faced with a really hard sermon to understand, a really hard sermon even to believe, and everybody else left. The temptation, the temptation was there, wasn't it? The temptation for Peter to say, well, it might be easier to just go find someone easier to listen to that was the temptation but peter because he was because he was a believer in christ he believed christ and so he said lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and that's your portion christian that's your portion that's your portion when, when when, you're faced with the temptation to, to run away from, from Christ and to, to, go, to go listen to someone else because, because His teachings are easier. That's when you've got to sit down and say with Peter, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Uh, remember that, that song we sang earlier? How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord. You should try to learn that song. You should try to you should try to memorize that, because when um, when those temptations come, and you think, man, I don't know if I can keep going in listening to Christ. His words are too hard. You remember the words of that song. It is a firm foundation. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. So Christians, Christians receive and keep the word of Christ. The other thing, the other sign of life that we have is that Christians know and believe Christ's origin. And this is from verses 7 through 8 in John 17. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me and they have received them and have come to know surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Look at those Look at those verses. Now they have known that all things which you have given to me are from you. In other words, they, as, as, these, as these people have watched my life, they have known that everything I've said and done is from you. They have known that all things which you have given me are from you. Look at the end of verse 8 again. And they have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So I want to I want to start first with an illustration. You know there are emails that you receive sometimes from from a man that claims to be uh, like a prince in Africa, and he'll say, "Click on the link and donate twenty five hundred dollars to pay my ransom." Uh, if, if you haven't seen them, they're out there. And once you see that email, you know for a fact, this is a fraud, just chuck it in the garbage, forget about it, and hopefully he didn't infect my computer with malware. That's, that's the kind of thing that goes on in your brain. But sometimes you also receive in the mail a letter Stamped I-R-S and and then you actually begin to feel afraid. And as you look at it, you know this is legit, this is real, this comes from the U.S. government and they want something from me. And so what you do then is you open that letter and you read it and you pay attention to it and you do what they want or the consequences are dire. Right? This life with regard to Christ is exactly the same. You're faced with the, with the question, is Christ the email From the prince in Zimbabwe somewhere, and you think that's just a lie. I'm not going to listen to that. He's just trying to pull one over on me. Or is he real? Is he from heaven? Because if he's from heaven, you'd better listen. And that's the point in verses 7 and 8. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. Do you believe that Christ is from heaven? Because this is no joke. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And the Christian looks at Christ and the Christian says there is no other place that He could come from. There's no other place that He could come from. Daryl and I were talking last week looking at verse 5. The Lord Jesus Christ says things like this. And now, O Father, glorify Me together with Yourself with the glory which I had with You before the world was. Christ is saying that he pre existed before he came into this world. And he either did or he didn't. And he either had glory together with the Father or He didn't. And if He did, then our ears are open. But what if what if you reject Him? Just imagine, what if what if you do reject Him? What if you reject the Lord from heaven? Those consequences are steep. Those consequences are steep. But as a Christian, alive in Him, you look at Jesus Christ and you say, yes, I know. You can, you can try your hardest to convince me. You can throw whatever science you want at me. I know. He's from heaven. And so, I'm going to listen to Him. I have 3 more points left. And time is gone. So I think what I want to do is I'm going to take those 3 points for next week and we'll we'll build on those together. So let me let me wrap up with this. Let me wrap up with this. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you really know God. You know Him. You know Him. And if you're not a Christian, you don't. But you can. You can know Him through Christ. If you're a Christian, according to verse 6, you belong to Christ out of the world. You've been set free from the world to live for Him as His holy people. What a privilege it is. But if if you're not alive in Christ, then you're not. You're just still stuck in the world. Doing whatever... Most people think that doing whatever you want is ultimate freedom. But that's the ultimate slavery, you know to do whatever you want. That's the ultimate slavery. The ultimate freedom is to know the freedom of Christ. The last thing, the last thing is that you have believed and received the words of Christ and you know where He's from and you can rest assuredly on that. So let's pray. Let's close this morning together, and um, and then we'll sing a song of praise, and we'll be dismissed for lunch. So Lord, I I thank you for thank you so much for your holy word. Lord, I do pray that you would please take my feeble words and that you would that you would please sift them lord i pray that i pray that pray that your truth would penetrate into our hearts and that we wouldn't leave that no one would leave here no one would leave here not knowing the truth i pray i pray that as we continue to think about these things that you would be pleased with us. That you would receive our worship and our thanks. Thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you so much for the Holy Spirit of God. Thank you so much for life in Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. So let's sing. Um, let's sing number four hundred and three. Uh, you don't have to stand. Number four hundred and three. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Um, there's there's the there's the second there's a the second line there that says, "Free to all, a healing stream," and that's true, you know. The Christ offers you freely a healing stream and it comes from Calvary's mountain. It comes from the cross. And if you're a Christian, this is your prayer. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There's nothing, nothing more glorious than that.
1: Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain Free to all a healing stream Flows from Calvary's mountain In the cross, in the cross my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Jesus, keep trembling soul, love mercy found me, there the bright and morning star sheds its beams around me. In the cross, Today, with its shadow. Rest beyond the river near the cross I'll watch and wait hoping trusting. cross be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river.
0: Amen. It will bring us there.